So a pastor and a priest were in New York City, and they, they were standing on a street corner, and they had a sign, the end is near, turn around. And uh, the first car passed by, and the pastor held up the sign, the priest standing next to him, and the guy rolled down his window and said, you crazy religious nuts, go someplace else, as his car took a, a right turn. Next thing you heard was a big splash. The pastor turned to the priest and said, do you think maybe we should have a sign that says, bridge washed out up ahead, turn around? So the end is near. What end that is, I don't know. Uh, but we need to be prepared. We need to be ready for it. So we're in a series, Need to Know. And in this series, we're not necessarily taking initially the traditional approach to a study of end times. Uh, we want to be informed as to what are some of the current events that are happening that really do point to the signs that the coming of Christ is near. And we actually have seven of those signs. We, we touched base on the first one last weekend, uh, which was the first sign we mentioned, that there would be a great rebellion or a great falling away, an apostasy away from the truth of God and God's Word. So we're going to pick up where we left off. So we'll go to point number two. The second sign that His coming is near are the signs that are appearing in the heavens above and the earth beneath. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. It says, I will show wonders in heaven. This is the prophet Joel about 2,600 years ago. He prophesied this. Peter, 2,000 years ago, was quoting it in his Pentecostal, his Pentecost sermon in Acts 2. I will show you wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Now, Joel is speaking about a spe uh, specific events that are going to happen just before the coming of Christ. The sun's going to turn black. The, 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 the moon will be blood red. That has not yet happened. Sometimes before the storm hits, the clouds move in. And there are pre-signs to the ultimate signs that will take place prior to Christ's coming. And in, in this verse, Joel is reminding us that there are things that will be happening in the heavens above and the earth beneath that cannot be explained scientifically. I have a couple of just quick examples. Once again, not the definite signs that Joel was talking about, but pre-signs to the ultimate signs talked about by the prophet Joel. First of all, there was this powerful telescope that took a picture of the birth of a, of a star called the Eagle Nebula. I think it's like 91 light years away from planet Earth. And when they took this picture and they showed it on the news for the very first time, hundreds of people called in and they said, we see a face. We see a face in this, this phenomenon. And if you look carefully, some may be able to recognize it, some may not. This is a, an actual picture. It's not an urban legend. Um, and I don't know about you, but now, none of us know what Jesus looked like, but according to all of the, the uh, artwork and paintings, you know, there's a, there's a resemblance of, like, the face of Jesus, just a little bit. It's cool if you don't see it or, or if you don't agree with it. But scientists can't explain this phenomenon. You say, coincidence. Maybe, maybe not. Signs in the heavens above and the earth beneath. There is the over the last several years, there's something occurring in different parts of the world. Once again, not an urban legend. Some people are trying to reduplicate and manufacture it to get more views on, on Facebook or YouTube. But originally, there are, there, there's evidence of this odd sound being emitted from planet Earth. 
And I have a video with the audio that I want you to check it out. This is an actual sound coming from nobody knows where. And it's like, what's it sound like? Well, like the blowing of the shofar, for those of you that understand uh, Hebrew tradition, uh, or the sound of a trumpet. All right? Now, here are some theories. Uh, it's someone's cell phone going off. No, just kidding. <laughs> I thought I heard someone's cell phone. Uh, they call, perhaps it could be rock bursts, venting of high-pressure gas in our atmosphere, uh, atmospheric pressure being released as background noise. Um, our planet is causing these sounds, and to date, there's no solid theory as to who, what, where, when, and why. But it is, it is happening. Uh, now, all we can say is sometimes these are pre-signs to the sign. Now, the Bible is very clear. The Bible says a lot about trumpets in the last days. And the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, or the shofar of God. That sounds a lot like the shofar. Maybe, I'm not saying it is, I'm saying maybe, just maybe, that, that, that designated angel that's going to sound the trumpet or the shofar before the Lord comes, maybe he's just warming up a little bit. I don't know. He needs a lot more practice, I agree. But signs, things that are happening that we really can't make any rhyme or reason of, and we don't put our faith in those signs. We put our faith in what Scripture teaches, but they alert us that something is going on in our world. The third sign that's mentioned in the Bible is revival. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, and that's a phrase that's used throughout the New Testament. Paul, Peter, James, all refer to the, that phrase, last days. The last days actually commenced and were initiated at the ascension of Christ. When Christ was raised from the dead, the prophetic time clock of eternity actually started to wind down the last age or the last dispensation before uh, the, the new kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, comes upon the earth. So when you see that phrase throughout the Bible in the New Testament, it's talking about Paul's day, Peter's day, James' day, and if their day were the last days... How much more are these days the last days? God will what? Here's the promise from the prophet Joel, once again used by Peter in his sermon at Pentecost. I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. And God's spirit is being poured out on all flesh. You know, Hindu flesh and Muslim flesh and Buddhist flesh and Jewish flesh. On, on all flesh, all races, all colors, all creeds, the spirit of God is moving in an incredible way around our world, but particularly in Latin America and in Africa. Christians in Latin America and Africa alone combined represent one billion followers of Jesus Christ in the world today. Can we thank the Lord for that? You know, 100 years ago, Christians were only 10% of Africa's the continent of Africa's population. Now they're nearly half a billion because God's Spirit is being poured out. Some of the largest churches in the world are in Latin America right now. And not only in, in Latin America and in Africa, but in, throughout the, the Asian population in the world, uh, we are seeing 300, and we, 
the, the, the estimates are 350 million followers of Jesus strong in China and throughout uh, the, the Asian world. God's Spirit in these last days is, are, is being poured out upon all flesh. Uh, even Jesus said in Matthew 24, uh, 14, he said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. The prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 11, talked about end times, that there would be an, an acceleration of knowledge, that, that knowledge would increase. But not only would knowledge increase, but the proliferation of dispensing that knowledge would also increase and we see that today uh, with instant news and, and instant pictures and instant communication. And our world is, is getting larger and smaller by, by way of technology at the same time, which become powerful vehicles for us in spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another sign, the fourth one is, scoffers would appear uh, in the end times. Second Peter 3.3, Peter said this, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. We see that today more than any other period of time in the history of our nation. An all-out open-season attack on Christians and on Christianity. Uh, the word scoffing means, means to deride or make fun of. And there's never been a time quite like what we find ourselves living at this particular period of time where Christianity is assaulted and attacked. And there's two reasons for that, at least two reasons. The first is uh, militant atheism. Atheists are no longer, you know, on the sidelines. They've now become very zealous and militant in their religion because atheism is a religion. Everybody worships something or someone, everybody. So they've become very militant in their atheism, and they have begun to, uh, uh, they're on a campaign, a crusade, to remove every vestige of our Christian faith from the public, from our public life, with lawsuits and attacks and assaults, uh, Hollywood, media, constantly belittling and deriding Christianity and, and Christians in general. The second reason, and we really can't, this is never right, but we really can't fault those who are attacking Christianity, is that we have let ourselves down. We have let the message down. We've let Christ down with the scandals in the Catholic Church and in the Protestant Church, in Christendom in general, over the last few decades. We've opened the door to allow people to ridicule and mock our faith. So those are two of perhaps many reasons why there is this, this aggressive assault and attack on Christianity. But, but look at how there was a time when, when Christians were portrayed in a, in a positive light in movies um, and in pop culture, but not any longer. I mean, anymore, unless it's the exception of a, the Christian genre of movies that are coming out now, like God's Not Dead and War Room and, and some of these others. Christians usually are now portrayed in movies. If they are portrayed or featured in a movie, they're the serial killer. They're the psychopath. They listen to praise and worship music, and they read their Bible before they go and kill people, right? That's, that's the, the perception, the distortion, that Hollywood intentionally wants to feed into our, our consciousness. Scoffers in the last days. Uh, the fifth sign is an alarming one. It's the decline of, of church attendance. 
in the West and in parts of Europe, a decline of church attendance. And this is directly associated with end times. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, and let us not neglect. You see, it's real easy to begin to neglect the important things in life, the, import, the important priorities in life, the important commitments to life. It doesn't happen all at once. We just begin to neglect prayer. We begin to neglect reading Scripture. We begin to neglect coming to church. Now, uh, not, not, not every week, but maybe every third week. And then it's every other week, and then it's every week. It's so easy to begin to neglect our meeting together. There's something powerful and something meaningful and something spiritual that happens when we as Christians meet together in one place, in one accord, as in the book of Acts chapter 2. Something meaningful and spiritual happens when we meet together. It's not enough just to stay at home and watch it on Facebook Live. Come on down. We'll be here for another 20 minutes. Whether it's two or three gathered in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst of them, or 200 or 1,000 gathered in his name. The fact that we are gathering together, I, I've been in a gathering of, of, of a New Testament church in Papua New Guinea. Uh, dirt floor, wooden bench, uh, open canopy, open air, worshiping Jesus, having church in Papua New Guinea with a handful of worshipers. And I've been in Yodi full gospel uh, church in Seoul, Korea that has a million members. And about, I don't know, 40,000 members were in that particular service that we were in. So whether it's two or three or 40,000 or, or a million, we must not neglect our meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, right? But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We don't need less of God the closer we get to the coming of Christ. We need more of God. We don't need less of the Bible. We need more of the Bible. We don't need less of church. We need more of church. So how many would vote for three-hour services? Raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't want to be in a three-hour service unless I was preaching. Anyway, okay. So we need, we need to understand there's a spiritual statement that's made when we get up on Sunday morning to come to church. Some people might say, well, don't you have anything better to do than to go to church on Sunday morning or if you attend on Saturday night? Don't you have anything better to do with your life? No, I don't. That's one of the most important things that I do with my life. I get my family up and we come to church on Sunday morning because we make God a priority in our life. doesn't mean I'm better than you, but I am smarter than you if you're not doing that. Amen. <laughs> right? We're making a statement that God matters. He's important. That He's a priority in our busy schedule. You know, I work out regularly to stay fit and to manage stress. And uh, I'll go five days a week to the gym. And, and I see some of you there. And, you know, and that's, we, we, working out should be a priority. It's good. You can always overdo anything. But a few years back, there was a guy that I would see there every day at the gym, right? And he's a good guy. And he, he came to church here at Trinity. And he, he, you know, he'd see me on Monday. Hey, good, good, good message on, on Sunday, Pastor. Hey, thanks. You know, and then we'd go back to our workouts. And I remember I stopped seeing him in church. So I saw him, but I'd see him at the gym. I said, hey, I hadn't seen you for a while. What's up? He said, oh, man, just been busy. You know, life happens and coming and going and work and the demands and all of that. And he's making excuses. Yeah. I'm like, well, you know, man, we can't forsake this of ourselves together somewhere in the habit of doing with all the more as we see that day approaching. And, you know, you don't come to church because you get something out of it. You come to church because you give something. You're not just a consumer. You're a contributor. But that's my sermon for another time. 
And uh, when I walked away, I thought, wow, God, he can, he can get up off his blessed assurance and get to the gym five days a week, but he can't get to church one day a week? I mean, oh, there's something wrong with that picture. Come on, don't shout me down now. And why is this important? There's an alarming trend taking place in Europe right now. Muslims in Europe are increasingly con converting empty Christian churches into mosques. The proliferation of mosques housed in former churches reflects the rise of Islam and the fast -growing as the fastest-growing religion in post-Christian Europe, according to the news. The fastest-growing religion in Europe right now. The most popular name in Europe right now is the name for, for, for young boys, children, Mohammed. Now, are we anti-Muslim? No, we're pro-Muslim, but we're anti-Islam. What's the difference? What's the difference? We love the Muslim people. We want to preach the, the gospel of Jesus Christ because Jesus loves Muslims. He loves Buddhists. He loves Hindus. He loves Jews. He loves all people, red and yellow, black and white. Jesus loves us all alike. But there's only one way to heaven. There's only one Lord. There's only one Master. There's only one Savior. His name is Jesus. And only Jesus died on that cross and shed his blood for the sin of the world. And it was only Jesus who on the third day was raised from the dead. And his salvation goes out to all. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely of the water of life. So we're pro-Muslim, but we're, we're anti-Islam. And we have to be judicious and wise in our immigration policies in the United States of America. Why? Why should we be committed to our Christian roots? And why should we serve Christ and, and attend church and, and be active and be involved? Because we could be one generation away from becoming an Islamic state, according to PrisonPlanet.com. At the current rate of immigration under the previous administration that was going to be carried on and even increased if Hillary Clinton had been elected, America could be an Islamic state by the 22nd century. You know the difference in immigration from my grandfather's generation? My grandfather came to America from Italy when he was 14 years old. But the Italians and the Irish and, and many of the Europeans that came during that big wave of immigration, they brought their Catholicism with them. They brought their Christianity with them. There was like precious faith and they shared the same values, and they were able to assimilate much better and much faster. Well, Pastor Carl, you mean that we shouldn't allow Muslims? No, but we should regulate how many? Because Muslims, we love them. We want them to know the land of the free and the home of the brave. They, they don't assimilate. They want, an, they want Sharia law. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that like, hurts your feelings. I'm sorry if you've bought into the propaganda in our society today. We are in a titanic struggle for Western civilization, for the defense of the Judeo-Christian ethic that this nation was built upon and must be protected and defended. Or else, a sign of the time, and we see that. And that's why we must be about our Father's business. You know, I'm so thankful. It was leery, and the jury's still out on many things, but what's happening with this current administration and what President Trump has done most recently should touch the heart of every Christian, no matter how you voted. 
In the previous administration, Christians being persecuted in the Middle East, in Iraq, which Dr. John, you've been there doing performing surgeries with Operation Hope. You've seen it firsthand how persecutions are being slaughtered and murdered in Syria, uh, in the Middle East. They were denied visas. But President Trump, keep him in your prayers. He said, they're coming to the front of the line. We want to start bringing in the, the persecuted Christians from these war-torn parts of the world. We want them to find safe haven in the United States of America. That is something we should pray about. That is something we should, that we should rejoice in and something we should all support. Come on, let's give it up for the Lord, right? They are our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The sixth sign that is coming is near is that there will be perilous times in these last days. Perilous times. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, Paul said this, but know this, we're in a series called Need to Know, know this, that in the last days, there's that phrase again, perilous times will come. Now, this is an interesting word. Now remember, you know, the New Testament was written in the common language of that day, which was Greek, Koine Greek. So the Greek manuscripts of Scripture had to be translated to Latin and then to German and then to English and all the other translations. So when we talk about the original Greek word for this English word, it only appears twice in the New Testament. Once here and one other time in the Gospel of Matthew when Matthew was des describing the demoniacs of Gadara, these demon-possessed individuals that were so full of the devil, they lived amongst the tombstones. They tried to put chains on them, and they would break the chains asunder with their supernatural strength derived from their occultic demonic practices. And they were that way until they met Jesus, and he cast those demons. Legion was the name because there were so many of them. He cast them right out of those men and set them free. But that same Greek word, perilous, is where we get the word savage or fierce times. We're living in savage times. We're living in fierce times. And how our fellow Christians are being beheaded and burned alive and tortured in parts of the world right now. How many of our fellow Christians in the persecuted church in China and other parts of the world are meeting in underground churches right now because they cannot openly express their faith without fear of retaliation. These are perilous times. Mass shootings, record high killings of law enforcement officers while on duty, uh, record high killings of Christians around the world. Christ Christian persecution is at an all-time high globally right now. The spread of radical terrorism and then something that just recently, a couple of days ago, hit the news that no one is yet talking about, one of the most alarming scientific advancements that's ever occurred, just occurred. Scientists were able to take DNA from a pig and DNA from a, from a human and create an embryo to cre and created life that was part pig, part human. They ended it about two or three weeks into gestation and into its development. Had they allowed it to continue full term, a half-human, half-animal creature, I know this is scientific stuff, but this is, 
how we are going beyond the boundaries of what is right and ethical, even in our, in our science. And this happened one other time in, in biblical history, in, in the history of man. In Genesis 11, when the people came together at the Tower of Babel, God said, because they're all of one voice and, and they're all united, verse 6 of, of Genesis 11 says, now nothing they imagine will be withheld from them. So we must go down and confound the languages. Man, because the spark of divinity exists in every human being, because every human being was created in the image and likeness of God, if man unites and comes together in his, in his worldly, human, earthly wisdom outside of God, because of how and who created us and how we were created, there's nothing beyond our imagination. Living in outer space and colonies on Mars and beyond, Star Wars, Star Trek, all doable. Unless God says, enough's enough, you've crossed the boundary, now I must supernaturally intervene. I believe, in my humble opinion, we're at one of those crossroads, one of those moments in time when God is going to have to supernaturally intervene. The final sign is deception on a grand scale. Mass deception globally. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, John the Revelator says this. He's talking about our arch enemy and God's arch enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the devil. Notice how many titles that he gives in this one. This one verse contains more titles for our enemy than any other one verse throughout Scripture. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil, the, name, the word devil, the name devil means accuser, and Satan, Satan in the original language means adversary, who deceives the whole world. Say that with me. Who deceives the whole world. Not just part or parts of the whole world. Lies under the sway, under the beguilement, under the bewitchment. They've been bewitched by Satan himself. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. The Bible's very clear about Satan's mission. It's mass deception on a grand scale. The first time he appears in Scripture, he appears as the serpent. The word serpent in Hebrew means to hiss and to whisper. That's what serpent means, to hiss in the Hebrew and to whisper. And what was he doing? He was whispering and he was hissing at Eve in the garden. Has God really said you should not eat of all the fruit of the garden? Are you sure? He just got her to question God's command just briefly, just long enough to insert the lie. God knows it's able to make you wise. Look how good, feel, taste. She did. And the whole world was plunged into sin. Deception. The Bible says Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. That's what makes his sin more egregious. He knew better, but followed his wife's suit anyway. Deception on a grand scale. Another term for deception is brainwashing. Brainwashing is uh, sometimes we, we make fun of it. Sometimes family members who mean well and we pray for them and we love them, when you really get serious for serving Jesus, they'll say things like, Who's brainwashing you? That, that church down there, you give what? 10% of your money to that church? You're brainwashed. No, I'm, 
well, my, my brain is washed, and your brain needs to be washed in that sense. Yeah, we all need our, our, our brains cleansed a little bit. Amen. But the blood of Jesus and the Word of God. Amen. What? You're going to church how many times a week? What's wrong with you? You're in a cult. Go to the bars as long as you want. Get as drunk as you want, as many DUIs as you want. But start going to church, and you've, you're off, you've lost your rocker. You know, you're, you're off your rocker. You know, they need to up your, med, your, your, your dosage of meds. You know, what's wrong with you? No, it's what's right with you. But the world is in league with Satan in this ploy of mass deception. A great apologist and defender of the faith, Malcolm Mutteridge, he called it a mighty brainwashing operation. What's going on in the world is a mighty brainwashing operation. He went on to say, whereby all traditional standards and values are being denigrated to the point of despairing. All of the traditional standards and values of our Judeo-Christian background are being denigrated, derided, mocked, and assaulted to the point of disappearing. William Sargent, Dr. William Sargent, M.D., pioneer British psychiatrist and author of Battle of the Mind, he wrote this. You put the mind under enough sustained stress, pressure, or fear of one's, what will happen is fear of, uh, the fear of one's thinking will be temporarily impaired, judgment altered, and the target is open to reprogramming. See, the enemy knows enough sustained stress and pressure and intimidation can cause you momentarily to impair your judgment, right and wrong. Well, I thought it was wrong, but it's, it seems it's right. Everybody's saying it's right. The Supreme Court says it's right. The president, former president, and, and, and these, these people, they, they say it's right, and some preachers and priests say it's right. Well, maybe it is right. And for that moment, your judgment is impaired, and they've succeeded in altering and reprogramming your thinking concerning what is right, what is wrong, the ultimate source of knowledge and truth on morality, issues of life and death. We have one source, God's Word. If not God's Word, then what? Then man, and how man interprets and defines what is good and right. You see, cults, cults, abusers, sex traffickers, government entities, tyrants, dictators, they've all employed these brainwashing tactics, the media, in a coordinated effort to reprogram entire an entire population of how people think and how they believe. And oh, they're good at it. Preeminent scholar and wartime brainwashing um, theorist, Robert J., Dr. Robert J. Lifton, American psychiatrist, most famous for studying the dynamics of POW brainwashing during world wars, Korean, and, and, and even the Vietnam War. He has 10 psychological steps toward thought reform, and I want to give those to you. I've included them in your notes because I want you to be empowered. I want you to be informed. Knowledge is power, and I want you to know. I've created the link to the website that I want you to go to so that you could read the interpretation of each of these steps. But here they are, the 10 psychological steps towards brainwashing or thought reform or reprogramming somebody. Number one, 
assault on that person's identity. You're no good. You've never been any good. You're ugly. You're unlovable. If it wasn't for me, no one would love you. There's an assault on your identity. You shouldn't believe this way. You're wrong. You're, 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 you're hateful. Assault on your identity. The second step is guilt. It's because of you. It's your fault. Things wouldn't be the way they are if it wasn't for you or wasn't for your family or your family's family. The third step is self-betrayal. They, the abuser gets you to begin to doubt your own identity. Self-betrayal. You, be, you betray yourself and what you hold to be true and what you value. The fourth step is the breaking point. The fifth step is leniency. This is when the Stockholm Syndrome comes in. Now your captor becomes your friend. See, I'm here to help you. I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to look after you. Sound like anything or anyone you know? The sixth step is the compulsion to confess. Go on, admit it. It's been your fault all along. Things wouldn't be the way they are if it wasn't for you. The seventh step is the channeling of guilt, the heaping on of shame and guilt. The eighth is re-education. All right, now you're in a place. We can begin to re-indoctrinate you and reprogram you to think the way we want you to think, feel the way we want you to feel. The ninth step is now you're making progress. Now there's harmony. See, things go much better when, when you think like me, when you act like the way I want you to act, when you behave. Now you're, you've, you've gotten in line. Good, good. And then the final step, confession or rebirth. You've been brainwashed. Our society, we pass laws against false advertisement. If, if you're a business person you own a product, you cannot falsely advertise what that product does. In other words, if you sell cereal, you can't say on the outside of that box anything contrary to what's inside that box. You'll be held accountable. You're breaking the law if you misrepresent your product. And yet, and yet, so many pastors and priests and politicians and actors and entertainers and powerful people in our world constantly misrepresent reality and the truth to you and me. They do it in books, social media, television, TVs, music, constantly. You have to think this way. You have to believe this way. You have to act. If not, they will assault you verbally. They will bombard you. They will call you every name under the sun until you submit and think the way they think. James Dobson saw a program once on how they brainwashed elephants in India. And he shared it with his audience. In this program, he said, elephants are beautiful creatures and they, they love community. They're always in a herd. So the first thing they do is they would isolate an elephant, take it away from its peers or its children, its community. And then after a few days of being isolated and lonely, they, the breakdown starts to occur. They would deprive it of sleep. The final stage, they would bring it to a ceremony in the middle of the night. They would light fires everywhere. And the, the, the light would be flickering. And for several hours, they would yell and scream and yell and scream at the elephant until the half-crazed element finally breaks. And they now submit their will to their captor. And now man becomes their master. You see, with enough bombardment of lies and deception, 
Eventually, people think, well, I don't want to be the odd one out. I don't want to travel, you know, I don't want to go in the opposite direction. Uh, apparently, maybe this is good. Maybe this is right. Think about it. For a generation now, the sexual revolution, for a generation in Hollywood and the media and, and the, the power, those, the power brokers who hold the levers of entertainment and pop culture in our world, for a generation said, sex outside of marriage, sex, out, sex, 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 sex. And a generation later, where has it brought us all this, this sexual revolution? Where has it brought us? Broken lives and broken homes and a high divorce rate and children being raised, uh, you know, as orphans. Yeah, some sexual revolution, right? Generation later, over 100 million Americans suffering from sexually transmitted diseases. You see, that's the side of the story that Hollywood never tells. That's always good, you know. You meet somebody, if you really like them, go to bed with them. Really? That's the message, day in, day out, pounded, day in, day out, until we're reprogrammed. Or now, it's cool to be gay. You see, the really cool people on TV, the really cool people on social media, the really cool people in the world, or they're not, they're bisexual. That's, you're heterosexual? What's wrong with you? Why would you want to be that way? I don't know. I was born that way. Well, you need to change. That's the intent. That's the world and the deception of the world wanting to reprogram. My generation, I'm old school, old-fashioned, you young people, you millennials. I know sometimes I scare you, but I love you, okay? Men were men. Women were women. The TV shows I watched growing up, you know, Leave the Beaver, Laugh at it if you want to, it reinforced father, mother, kids, whether it was true or not, whether what was really going on behind closed doors, was, that's the standard. You don't adjust the st If everybody's robbing banks, okay, I guess we should just legalize robbing banks. Are you with me? I mean, some things are wrong no matter how many people do it. Hello? Are you with me? If, if we, something's wrong, if it's wrong, even if there's a majority that thinks it's right. How I many know raping, rape is wrong? It'll always be wrong. No matter what laws, some countries make it legal. No matter, what, it'll, no matter what anybody says, it's always wrong, right? Some things are always wrong. Taking an innocent life is always wrong. And now we're at a place in our society, imagine, where laws are passed that if a grown man who questions who he is and his identity thinks for one day to the next he may be a woman, he, it's now a law that he can go into the bathroom with your daughters in college. There is a case going up before the Supreme Court that right now there's an exemption on, and, and in Christian universities that, that's denying men who, who have a confusion about who they are. And if you're confused about who you are, set up a meeting with me. Man, I love you. You're born biologically a man. We'll get you back there in Jesus' name by the blood of the Lamb and the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, it's possible. I mean it. But if this court case is lost at the Supreme Court level, it will be mandated on Christian universities that if a guy thinks he's a girl from day to day, he'll be sharing the same showers and playing the same sports with your daughter. Now, how many know? That's just not right. We care for these people. We have compassion on these people. But just a few years ago, the American Psychiatric Association called that a pathology. But through lobbying and pressure and stress and ridicule, they've changed their diagnosis. 
It's now something other than that. Hey, welcome to the real world. And when you come to Trinity Church, we're not see no evil, hear no evil, the three unwise monkeys. We're like, here's what's happening, and here's what we need to do, and here's the solution, and God has an answer, and the answer is Jesus, and it was sent 2,000 years ago, all right? Now, in closing, this is what Scripture says about deception. A person, is, and I have these in your notes, and I want you to have it. A person is deceived if he is a hearer of the word and not a doer. James 1.22. A person is deceived if he says that he has no sin. Because we all have sin. He, a person is deceived if he thinks himself to be something when he's nothing. Galatians 6.3. A person is deceived when he thinks himself to be wise with worldly wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.18. A person is deceived when he seems to be religious and does not bridle his tongue. James 1.26. A person is deceived when he thinks what he sows, that he will not reap what he sows. Galatians 6.7. A person is deceived when he thinks that evil company will not corrupt good morals, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. A person is deceived when he thinks that the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God, when the Bible clearly says they will not inherit the kingdom of God, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And a person is deceived if they don't take heed to Pastor Carl's sermon in this new series, Need to Know. Now, I want you to do this. I want you to place your right hand on your heart. I want you to say this after me. Dear God in heaven, I come to you today and I ask for your help to know the truth, to practice the truth, to live the truth. Lord Jesus, you said I would know the truth and the truth would set me free. You sent me the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, that he would guide me into all truth and righteousness. I yield to the Holy Spirit. I reject all the lies of the enemy that have ever been spoken over my life from the time I was born to this day. I reject the enemy's lies about who I am and what I am. I am who God says I am. I am the identity of Christ. I'm a child of God. I am an overcomer. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. There's nothing in my life right now that I cannot overcome by God's grace with His help and the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pledge my loyalty to Jesus Christ. He is King of kings, Lord of lords, Savior of the world. And I will remain true to the Word of God and the teachings of Scripture. As Martin Luther once said, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Here I stand, here I shall die. So help me God, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Can we do that?